When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Art Curious is brought to you by Anchorlight, home to a 1,500-square-foot, zero-commission gallery providing exhibition opportunities to emerging artists. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. Please note that today's episode of Art Curious contains language discussing violence and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. One of the great things about working on Art Curious is that I often get ideas from you, my listeners. You suggest topics for episodes or even whole seasons, and also books to follow up Art Curious, the book version, of course. And one topic that has reared its head multiple times over the past few years is the idea of urban legends in art, of artworks rumored to be full of ill will toward their owners, haunted perhaps, or maybe cursed. I've been asked about the so-called haunted eBay painting, officially titled The Hands Resist Him which is a 1970s painting by artist Bill Stoneham that is, to be sure, super creepy. Then there's the so-called Anguished Man, a painting by an unknown artist in the UK with a searing, screaming visage that is truly creepypasta come to life. But I also keep getting asked about purportedly haunted sculpture, and one funeral monument that always rises to the top of the list. What do you know, listeners ask me? about a copy of a sculpture by one of the most famous sculptors of the 19th century in the U.S. What can you tell us, they beg, about the sculpture deemed Black Aggie? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. This season, season nine, is all about curses in fine art and archeology, span a topic that was suggested by you, my listeners. And today we are continuing with the story of an unauthorized copy of a masterwork by American sculptor Augustus St. Gaudens, a piece colloquially known as Black Aggie. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I am Jennifer Dassel. When we think of places that might be truly cursed or haunted, a graveyard or a cemetery is certainly at the top of the list. After all, it's the resting place of bodies and souls long gone, or not. And it's similar to our discussion at the beginning of the season about the funeral complex in Xi'an, China, the home of the Terracotta Army. The dead beget the curse. But what's interesting in the case of Black Aggie is that the original monument itself, often called the Adams Memorial, isn't deemed haunted or cursed at all. It's a second grave, one housing a copy of the monument from the Adams Memorial that seems to be the problem. But to get to Black Aggie we do have to start with the Adams Memorial. 
In the late 19th century, at the height of what was called the American Renaissance in arts, architecture, and all things cultural, a terrible yet commonplace tragedy occurred when a man lost his wife. The man was no ordinary man, though. It was Henry Adams, a prestigious author and historian whose lineage directly linked him to two of the earliest presidents of the United States, John Adams and John Quincy Adams, his great-grandfather and paternal grandfather, respectively. Adams had made quite a name for himself as a professor of medieval history at Harvard, from which he would retire at the ripe old age of 37 before dedicating the remainder of his academically focused life to American history's earliest centuries, which makes great personal sense considering his familial connections. His home, by all accounts, was a lively, warm one, overseen by Adams and his wife, Marion Hooper Adams, called Clover by her friends. Clover was not only a socialite and consummate host in Washington, D.C., where the couple resided, but she was also a keen photographer at a time when the medium was still brand spanking new. And she specialized in portrait photography, shooting images of friends, politicians, and even pets, all with a fantastic eye for the artistic and a true dedication to learning and honing her technique. Clover even developed her own photographs, making meticulous notes on particular exposure rates and chemicals used during production, transforming part of their home into her very own darkroom. It seems to have been a great focal point, no pun intended, of her life. Though her husband Henry suggested that her hobby remain just that, a hobby, and he discouraged her from actively exhibiting or publishing her images. It's one of the few stories left behind about this couple that isn't all warm and fuzzy. Clover referred to Henry's, quote, utter devotion to her, and he himself declared to be, quote, absurdly in love with Clover. But of course, it's impossible to know what goes on behind closed doors or to know if love is even enough to save a life. Because in December 1885, Clover Hooper committed suicide after swallowing some of the chemicals she frequently used to develop her beloved photographs. She had been in a severe depression for most of that year, ever since her father, whom she adored, died at the age of 75. Now it was Henry Adams's turn to be utterly distraught. In his grief, he destroyed most of Clover's photographs, photographs of her and correspondence between the two of them. His despair was so complete that he didn't even mention her death in his own autobiography, a deliberate silence that shouts rather loudly, a loss too heavy to be named. So it's not surprising to find out that Henry Adams felt his life to have been changed completely by his wife's suicide, and he became restless, unfocused. As a coping mechanism, he began traveling widely, undertaking a trip to Japan with the artist John Lafarge, a friend and travel companion at various stages for the remainder of Henry Adams's life. While in Japan, Adams became fascinated by sculptures of a particular bodhisattva, or a Buddhist who's on the path to becoming a Buddha, him or herself. For Adams, it was the figure of Kanon, known in Chinese as Guanyin or Avalokiteshvara in Sanskrit. Kanon is the Bodhisattva of Compassion, a revered figure throughout Asia who is sometimes depicted as a calm, peaceful woman dressed in flowing robes, in a state of nirvana or enlightenment, 
though Canon slash Guanyin slash Avalokiteshvara, can be depicted as either male or female. These figures truly spoke to Adams, who was drawn to the idea of being beyond life, beyond death, in a place where neither joy nor sorrow could touch you. Some sources note that it was in Japan that Adams became inspired to commission a Canon-esque memorial to his dead wife, while others think that the trip to Japan was undertaken in search of inspiration for a monument in the first place. What is known, though, is that in 1886, just months after Clover died, Adams sought to replace her rather modest headstone with something far larger, and he sought help from Augustus St. Gaudens to make it all happen. Augustus St. Gaudens had only just begun to come into prominence in the decade prior to his work for Henry Adams. Born in Dublin in 1848, but raised in New York City after his parents emigrated when Augustus was just an infant, he was apprenticed early on to a couple of stonecutters who specialized in creating cameos, those little profile portraits carved in relief onto stone or gems that were super popular in the 19th century, especially as jewelry. And it was through these apprenticeships that St. Gaudens realized that he had a talent for sculpture, a talent that he honed while studying at the National Academy of Design and at the Cooper Hewitt. After traveling abroad and spending time studying art in both Paris and Rome in the 1860s and 70s, he settled back in New York, where he made a number of crucial connections that would serve him well for the remainder of his career. People like Stanford White and Charles McKim, some of the most renowned architects of the era, who often sourced St. Gaudens to create monuments for their public buildings, parks, and other civic projects. It was also during the early 1870s that he met John Lafarge, the painter who would later become a travel buddy for Henry Adams. And it may very well have been Lafarge that suggested Augustus St. Gaudens as the right sculptor for Adams's job. Because by the 1880s, St. Gaudens had already completed a number of high-profile commissions including the painting of a series of murals for Boston's Trinity Church and a monument for Naval Admiral David Farragut. St. Gaudens was a big name, a good name for those kind of projects. And so Adams agreed. Augustus St. Gaudens was to be the creator of the Adams Memorial at the Rock Creek Cemetery in Washington, D.C. Coming up next, Augustus St. Gaudens and Henry Adams seek artistic inspiration for their monument in honor of Clover Adams. Stay with us. Over the last year in quarantine, I made a lot of purchases, especially online, and I am still making purchases. From furniture for my new porch upgrade to workout clothes and books for research, I'm still shopping a bunch and I'm probably not stopping anytime soon. And now think about all the online and quarantine purchases that you made this year, and you're probably forgetting one of your biggest purchases of the year, or any year, insurance. Americans overspend on car and home insurance by billions, with a B, every year. And that's money that could have been spent on more retail therapy. And that's where the Zebra can help you. The Zebra is the nation's leading insurance comparison site for car and home insurance. 
In minutes, you can compare policies from every major provider for free, all on one independent marketplace. After a few very quick questions, the Zebra pairs people with the right insurance company for them, helping everyone save time and money. You can buy online or over the phone with one of their licensed insurance agents. And there are no hidden fees or fine print about your personal information. Best of all, the Zebra has no stake in the policy you choose because they are simply there to help you find the coverage that's right for you. So make insurance your smartest purchase yet. Visit thezebra.com slash art to get your free quote today. That's thezebra.com slash art. Art Curious is sponsored by Ana Luisa, which makes incredibly beautiful, ethically crafted, and affordable jewelry that is meant to last a lifetime. Ana Luisa, that's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, creates items that are timeless, chic, and crafted with your budget and the planet in mind with prices beginning at just $39. So there's no luxury markup with items produced in limited batches with carbon emissions offset, so there's no excessive waste to the earth. And to me, that is an incredible gift, which means Ana Luisa items are incredible gifts too. These pieces are absolutely perfect for a little gift as a way to treat yourself just because. I recently got my hands on a pair of their Hana Marble Blue Earrings, which are gorgeous gold and enamel earrings with a stunning pop of blue that just grabs your attention in such a wonderful way. For a mom on the go like me, it's the perfect way to amp up my look and to make myself feel chic even when I'm just writing at home. I can dress it up or down, and it's durable enough to be a standard now and for many years to come in my jewelry collection. And now is the best possible time to snag some goodies from Ana Luisa with 15% off all of their products. So order now as a gift to yourself or another loved one. For a 15% discount on all pieces, go to analuisa.com slash artcuriousmd. Go treat yourself or your loved one today and use my offer code artcuriousmd. Check them out now at analuisa.com slash artcuriousmd, code artcuriousmd. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to Art Curious. For his inspiration for the Adams Memorial, Augustus St. Gaudens followed Henry Adams's wishes to connect to something with a, quote, Asian feel, as his trip to Japan had warranted. And John Lafarge even brought Augustus St. Gaudens to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston to show him a particular image of Canon, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, in that collection. Though this might be a false lead, since this specific work didn't end up in the MFA's collection until 1911, though it does appear to have been swirling around the Boston and Salem areas in the 1880s in the hands of private collectors. Still, the comparison between the heavily draped, weighty figure of Canon and the figure that would soon encompass the Adams Memorial can't be overlooked. Neither can the influence of traditional funerary monuments such as those in the famed Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, where St. Gaudens had lived prior to settling back in New York. And you can even peek glimpses of the artist's fascination with Renaissance sculptors, especially Donatello and Michelangelo, 
whose works he greatly admired. Together, they all lead up to a really fascinating figure in St. Gaudens's hands, a calm figure that exudes neither sadness, nor happiness, nor peace, nor despair, and one that is neither male nor female, Western or Eastern. St. Gaudens, to his credit, provided a figure that is appealingly in the middle, a monument unlike any really ever seen before. And it's quite the monument, too, in terms of size. The seated figure is larger than life, over six feet in height, with downcast eyes, full sensual lips, and a hooded robe obscuring our view of anything else that could be used to identify or categorize this figure. And that's apparently what Henry Adams really wanted. When the work was finally completed and installed at Rock Creek Cemetery in 1891, Adams declared himself pleased with the final result, but refused to inscribe a name on the monument, neither to refer to the title of the work of art itself, nor to carve Clover's name, or even his own surname, Adams, onto it. Combined with the fact that there's a little bit of a barrier of trees and shrubs hiding direct access and sightline to the gravesite, it's no surprise that the Adams Memorial is a bit of a mystery, and obviously people didn't really know what to call it. St. Gaudens apparently did give it an official title that is the rather unwieldy, the mystery of the hereafter and the peace of God that passeth understanding. No wonder it commonly became nicknamed Grief or Nirvana, which some attribute to that most quotable of American authors, Mark Twain who visited the cemetery in 1906. Because of several different factors, from the reputation of the Adams' political dynasty to the tragic story of Clover Adams' death, and from the involvement of the highly esteemed Augustus St. Gaudens and his mysterious, unknowable sculpture, the Adams Memorial, as it is most frequently called today, rather quickly became a word-of-mouth sensation with tourists at the end of the 19th and into the beginning of the 20th century clamoring to visit it. Several Washington-area publications, particularly travel guides, often would suggest it as a stop on many cultural tourism itineraries. Apparently, this greatly infuriated Henry Adams, and with good reason. His wife's final resting place was meant to be just that, restful. And here were hordes of tourists traipsing all around willy-nilly, but he couldn't stop the public interest from growing, and the St. Gaudens sculpture became one of the most lauded in the U.S. So much so, in fact, that others literally wanted it to be their own. In his letters, Henry Adams noted his disavowal of any money-making ventures off of the Adams Memorial, noting that all the credit should always go to the artist and that not even a photograph would be sold to capitalize upon it. But in a 1907 letter to Edward Robinson, who would soon become the director of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, Adams noted, quote, Even now, the head of the figure bears evident traces of some surreptitious casting, which the workmen did not even take the pains to wash off, unquote. In other words, someone was out there making a copy of the bronze monument and attempting to profit off of St. Gaudens's hard work. And one of those copies would go on to become even more famous, more well-known in some circles than the original monument itself. 
It makes sense that General Felix Agnus would have found some great interest in the Adams Memorial. Because before Felix Agnus became a silversmith for Tiffany & Company, before he rose through the ranks of the Union Army during the Civil War, and long before he would go on to become a successful newspaper man at the Baltimore American, he was a sculptor in his native France, which he studied keenly until the outbreak of the Franco-Austrian War in 1859, when he abandoned his art education to fight in the French Army. Agnus spent the majority of his adult life in the U.S., and living in Baltimore allowed him close access to Washington, D.C., which is just about an hour's car ride today. I imagine that in his off time from his publishing duties, the erstwhile artist must have roamed the monuments and institutions of the nation's capital to fulfill his cultural needs. After all, the Smithsonian Institution had only just been founded in 1846, and surely the Frenchman, who was educated near Paris, missed the incredible sculptures dotting his homeland. So it's not surprising to note that Felix Agnus was taken by Augustus St. Gaudens's work for the Adams Memorial. Remember that pretty much anyone who visited DC at the time was, after having been directed to see this slightly spooky monument by every guidebook and newspaper. And by 1905, having just purchased a family plot in a cemetery outside of Baltimore, the wealthy Agnus wanted to leave his legacy and purchased his own version of the Adams Monument, a copy, for all intents and purposes, that had been casted by the artist Edward Ludwig Albert Pausch, a Danish-American artist who, like Augustus St. Gaudens, was in the big sculpture and monuments game. You can probably imagine that this didn't go over well with Henry Adams when he received a letter in 1908 confirming this news. And it didn't go over well with the widow of Augustus St. Gaudens, who had died the year before, in 1907. Together, Adams and St. Gaudens' widow, who was named Augusta, by the way, so like, what are the odds? Together, they tried to take legal action against Agnus, who claimed to have been hosed by an unscrupulous monument dealer. As the late art historian Cynthia J. Mills wrote in her fantastic 2000 article, Casting Shadows, the Adams Memorial, and its doubles. The widow St. Gaudens and Henry Adams attempted to sue and to garner protection for the intellectual property years before it became hot to do so. But there was a problem. Augustus St. Gaudens never copyrighted his work. So even though it really wasn't cool that folks could just come out and make casts of the bronze and profit off of it, there was pretty much nothing that could be done though Augusta St. Gaudens suggested that Agnus file a suit against those sneaky art dealers who sold him that unauthorized copy, and then promptly destroy or return the fraudulent copy. Interestingly, Agnus actually followed this advice and won his lawsuit, for which he received a claim of over $4,500, which would be like the equivalent of $120,000 today. Not small change. But Agnus truly got his cake and ate it too, because he didn't follow through with Augustus' other suggestion. He kept the sculpture. And when Felix Agnus died in 1925, he was buried in that family plot under that big old monument in the Druid Ridge Cemetery of Pikesville, Maryland, just right outside of Baltimore. And that's how Black Aggie the nickname for this particular copy was born.
up next. Black Aggie isn't just some knockoff of a famed memorial. Some say she's cursed, bringing death and bad luck to those who visit her after dark. Don't go away. I just recently finished a build onto our house, so I have this amazing new screen porch. And now I am looking for that one special something that will pull it all together and make it a place that I super love to spend time in. And that's why I'm looking at Woodstock Chimes. Woodstock Chimes adds an artful touch to your garden or your patio, and they're also lovely accents for indoor rooms as well. You hang them near an open window in the summer, and you'll hear this beautiful music when the breezes blow. This company offers chimes that are tuned to various melodies and musical scales, and each one is different and delightful. They have beautiful decorative chimes, wind bells, gongs, fountains, and sun catchers to help you create these beautiful tranquil spaces in your home, and a line of personalized chimes that are laser engraved with your own messages prior to shipping. All of them make amazing gifts. You can listen to sound samples on their website, and you'll even find wonderfully large, deep tone chimes that make a huge statement for your gazebo or your entryway. And I would love for you to try one for yourself. Listeners to this podcast can get 15% off now by going to chimes.com and using the promo code ARTCURIOUS. That's chimes.com, promo code ARTCURIOUS. Woodstock Chimes, the world's favorite wind chime. This episode of Art Curious is brought to you by BetterHelp. There have truly been times in my life where I've needed some assistance to figure out what I wanted from life and how to find the happiness I deserved. And that's why I turned to BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is here to help you too. With BetterHelp, a professional can assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist with whom you can begin communicating in less than 48 hours. And it is so convenient because you can connect from wherever you are in a safe and private online environment, and you can message, call, or video chat with your therapist, all instead of commuting somewhere and sitting uncomfortably in a waiting room. And BetterHelp also makes it easy to find the right therapist for you. Whether you're looking for help with depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, LGBT matters, self-esteem, or anything, and you don't have to limit yourself to someone who works near your home. Believe me, I've used BetterHelp and it is so easy, and I loved my counselor I connected with. And even if I didn't, it would have been so easy and free to change counselors if I wanted. It's confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. And financial aid is available. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It is professional counseling done securely. And check this out. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. As an Art Curious listener, you're important to me. And so I want you to start living a happier life today. By visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp, you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling by visiting betterhelp.com artcurious. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's at betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash artcurious. Welcome back to Art Curious. Art historian Cynthia Mills notes that within the decade after the death of Felix Agnus, reports began to surface of eerie sightings or ghostly experiences around Agnus's grave, especially in relation to the sculpture that was now popularly deemed Black Aggie. 
Aggie's eyes would glow a ghastly red at the stroke of midnight, some said. The statue's inherent evilness was explained by the grass that refused to grow in its shadow. Never mind that grass typically needs some sunlight to grow, I think, but I'm no horticulturist. If those red beaming eyes looked deeply into your own, it was said that you would be struck blind. And if you were a pregnant woman, you would suffer the loss of your baby. Black Aggie became the centerpiece of childhood dares, teenage pranks, and fraternity initiation rites, with the rites in particular being especially treacherous for some poor freshmen who all seemed to fall victim to Aggie's cold, powerful grasp more often than not. They were strangled or crushed alive by her heavy stone hands. Now, just why Black Aggie could have possibly been so haunted or cursed was never truly determined, though some argued that a witch was buried under her instead of Felix Agnus. Mostly, it's that the sculpture, when seen in the dark of night, is just creepy. And that creep factor is enough to keep people coming back and back and adding more and more tales to the ever-growing urban legend. The popularity of Black Aggie was, for many years, the biggest issue. Not her supposed abilities to curse, maim, or kill. As word spread of this haunted monument, from Druid Ridge Cemetery and into the wider world, it captured more and more attention, including news coverage, which begat a vicious circle of more visitors who then generate more stories and more news coverage. Over those first few decades, the small town of Pikesville, right outside of Baltimore, became overrun with tourists, daredevils, and the curious-minded who wanted to experience the badness of Black Aggie for themselves, or at least to scare their pals in the process. And those brave enough to make a visit to Aggie in the shadows of a moonless night wanted to leave behind proof of their valor. So damage to the monument spiked way up, mostly in the form of graffiti, although occasionally through those who tried to take a chip from its base, or more. In 1962, a groundskeeper at Druid Ridge found that one of Black Aggie's arms had been sawn off during the night, and it was later discovered in the trunk of a car owned by a sheet metal worker who widely claimed that it was Aggie herself who came alive and cut off her own arm before handing it to the man for safekeeping, I guess? Obviously, this man went to jail for desecrating a private monument, but the damage was quite literally done. And though the watchmen and the grounds crew of Druid Ridge Cemetery tried their best to police the monument, their efforts were simply met with more and more trespassers flooding the area to test their mettle against Black Aggie. So, in the mid-1960s, the descendants of General Felix Agnus decided it was all too much. And with a misguided notion that the monument had been a true St. Gaudens cast or replica, they donated Black Aggie to the Smithsonian in 1967. But the story of Black Aggie doesn't end there. And naturally, this also means that the urban legends surrounding her don't either. After folks at the Smithsonian determined that the work was not an authorized copy of Augustus St. Gaudens' original Adams Memorial, but instead a poor reproduction, they put the work into storage, where it would stay for 30 years. With the sculpture being hidden away from the public eye, you'd think that all of those ghost stories would die down a bit. But, of course, the opposite happened. Instead, there was a spike of inquiries about Black Aggie, 
Where did she go? Why wasn't she on view at one of the Smithsonian's myriad museums? And why would anyone go out of their way to hide her if she wasn't cursed? It was a conspiracy, of course. And in a 1976 article for Baltimore's Evening Sun newspaper, one reporter mused that it was better to be safe than sorry in case Black Aggie really was a cursed sculpture, writing, quote, Maybe, just maybe, they're not taking any chances, unquote. Black Aggie didn't end up staying in deep storage forever. The story of her current, and perhaps final, resting place was actually uncovered by a college student at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, whose long interest in Aggie stemmed from her days as a ghost story-loving Girl Scout. For a column in UMBC's student newspaper, The Retriever Weekly, reporter Shara Turjung called governmental organizations until she reached a contact at the General Service Administration in Washington, D.C., who knew where the once infamous sculpture was. In a courtyard behind the Dolly Madison House near Lafayette Square, only blocks away from the White House. Since its relocation to its current home, there haven't been any supernatural experiences or ghostly phenomena reported, at least not in the Washington Post or in the Baltimore Sun, like there once was. Black Aggie is more of a curiosity than anything, a reminder of how urban legends can crop up anywhere, even from an unauthorized sculpture from Americans' golden age of art, its so-called renaissance. But even so, you won't find me at the Dolly Madison house after dark, spying on Black Aggie's face to check for red glowing eyes. I will leave that to the more intrepid, or perhaps the more foolish, among us. Coming up next time, it's the great Spanish painter Diego Velasquez's only surviving nude, and the sight of it drives viewers to madness. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our podcast services are provided by our friends at Kabunki. Subscribe now to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, hosted by Josh Dassel, he's my husband, and please visit subgenrepodcast.com for details. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchor Light. Anchor Light is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchor Light encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also physically sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means that you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support. So quick shout-outs this week to some of our recent donors. Many thanks to Kelly from Round Lake Heights, Illinois, Maria from Ashland, Oregon, and Shalina in Ames, Iowa for their recent donations. Thank you all so much. To find those donation links and for more details, including this episode's reading list, transcript, and more, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at artcuriouspod. Check back with us in two weeks as we explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in potentially cursed works and artifacts in art history.